the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on this Monday afternoon. My name is Brian Fromm. As always, joined by Ian Simpkins. We're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. And you can get your podcast wherever we do podcasts. did we figure out last week you can get our podcast on Spotify? Some people are throwing me other things, uh, other places to get our podcast. My mind know? was blown. Spotify is a very popular platform for podcasts. Right. I, I, once the person said it, I was like, oh, yeah, no, no that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I'm so much always like, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's the rule of three, man. You got to add that Spotify, Spotify in there. Spotify. So anyway, uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, we'd love to interact with you. Again, you can do so. At Facebook. How was your weekend, my friend? My weekend was tiring. Hot. Very warm. Yes. Yeah. But I got to see my family and that make that makes That's all the worth it. It was we do kind of a halfway trip to Kalamazoo. Uh, and then we were in Detroit visiting family and my siblings are such rock stars. They like move heaven and earth just to oh, just hang out for a little bit. So we got the my grandma was there before she went to go uh spend some time in Traverse City and then my cousin uh was getting married and um it, they were going to do it outside they were going to do the reception outside at her parents house and so they had a bunch of tents and stuff set up yeah. and it, like all got knocked over in the storm oh there was a storm that went through there was a crazy storm so the day of the wedding we were like looking for a plan b location and so there's all these text threads all this chaos and uh, at the end of the day they said yeah let's just still do it here so they reset up all the tents all the tables wow. all the centerpieces and it was gorgeous it was i mean it was hot but it was it was beautiful though, and there was just they have all this property, so like kids are running around and singing yeah, and dancing, and it was a lot of fun. My my boys <laughs> they struggled a little bit, but you know you uh, it's it's worth it for family. We loved storm it. Storm knocked all the stuff over. That's crazy. It was pretty bonkers, yeah. And, and it, my and my mom catered it too, so like she oh, right? yeah, it was it's it really was a pretty beautiful family ordeal. But like the stress leading up to it, I imagine was through the roof. One of the crazy things it feels like is that. You said your family moved heaven and earth to see you. I think they moved heaven and earth to see your kids. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. I don't that's even awesome, know. Though. I don't even know they made eye contact with me, to be honest. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I don't kid. blame them. My kids are adorable. Well, we're, we're glad you had a good weekend away, but we're glad you're back. And Did uh, you have a good weekend? I did. You know, my, you're going to skip over this. Now I, I want to know. That's, that's funny. <laughs> my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, who have a beautiful pool, they live over in West Chicago, uh, they were out of town for a couple of days. They're like, use it. And so Friday night, I went there with two of my kids. Awesome. Saturday, Carrie and I took all three of our kids. And awesome. then Sunday after church, we went over there. They were back in town and we hung out with them for like six hours. So oh, we really, killer. it's, I don't own a pool, but I might as well have this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> so no I kidding. Was, we were at their pool. So a ton of fun, you know, preached on Sunday, which we'll talk about. But uh, 
Yeah, it was a pretty relaxing. It was just so stinking hot. I even went out and weeded for like an hour. Oof. And I thought I was going to die when it was over. No, it was so warm that I was like, you know, when you warm the car up in winter. Yes. I was like having to do that for my boys. Like, I'm, let me go get the AC running in this car because so this true. is going to take a while. <laughs> it's it's so true. And the other thing in my family, uh, my wife helped run our church's VBS last week. Oh, gosh. Which and, is a lot of outdoor stuff, right? Uh, uh, some. A lot of it in the church. Okay. But then it was... Uh, th- my youngest was the last age where she, the last year where she could be a part of it. But my older two uh, were helpers. So all everybody but me was really a part of the VBS. Okay. So they were a little tired. This yeah, weekend. I get that. <laughs> everybody but you. Oh, man. I would just go there and like eat the donuts and shake people's hands. Big, right, I'm out. It's, man, it's, it's good to be king. Shoot. I'm going to Panera. <laughs> Best of luck, everybody. I mean, guys, I got to write a sermon this week. It's not going to write right. itself. So. <laughs> so that was really fun. So anyway, glad to be together this week. And uh, a, a crazy story out of Iowa that I, I think uh, was uh, that you threw my way. Yeah, I saw it on ABC 7 Chicago. But yeah. It, yeah, it takes place in Iowa. A carpenter from Iowa who owned two pair of jeans and an old rusty truck paid for 33 strangers to get a college education. Yeah. Let me give you some of the background here. Dale Schroeder was a simple man. He grew up poor, never went to college, never got married, worked at the same business for 67 years. When he died in 2005, he didn't have any descendants. What he did have was a pair of work jeans, a pair of church jeans. Love that. Yes. A rusty Chevrolet truck and a desire to help small town kids in Iowa go to college. Over his nearly 70 years of carpentry work and frugal living, Schroeder had amassed nearly $3 million in savings. Much of that money went into a scholarship fund and it helped 33 people from Iowa here go to college free of charge. I just... Uh, you and I both were excited to start with a really happy story yeah. just out of the box. Like, uh, man, this is this is just crazy and and really, uh, really uplifting. I, it's one of those stories, too, that I think um, I mean, stories like this are always meaningful. But now more than ever, when it seems like the divide is just widening yep. and it's so easy to find heartbreaking stories, mm-hmm. you don't even have to search, you know, like so when this kind of came across my feed uh, I don't know. For me, it was like, all right, all right. There are still really, really good people in the world doing really, really good things. And I love, uh, so his, one of his friends, Steve Nielsen, said uh, he was just that kind of blue collar, lunch pail kind of guy. He went to work every day, worked really hard and was frugal like a lot of Iowans. So this idea that he didn't call the news station to let them know he'd done this. It wasn't some big social campaign. He just like really quietly and he never got married, never had kids. Nope. So he, he didn't no have any, like, any descendants. And this is just something that he, he really wanted to do because he, he never even went to college himself, right. by the way, right. which I find so beautiful that he's like, man, I didn't get a chance to do this. I want to provide this opportunity for other people, which to me, I don't know. I read it and I was like, more of this, please. This, yes. this is, this is what I want to see in the world. So they are called Dale's kids. <laughs> Uh, they call themselves Dale's Kids, people who made it. And so listen to how this story finishes. Dale's Kids all finished college without debt, but there's one string attached. All we ask is that you pay it forward. Yeah. You can't pay it back because Dale's gone, but you can remember him and you can emulate him. What a great call. Like this sounds, this is why I think why you and I love this is this is dripping with Bible. <laughs> this yeah, is right. dripping with uh, the way we as Christians are called to live. And this guy did it quietly. Uh, and now they're all saying, just, you know, you don't, you don't have to pay him back, but we want you to live this way and bless people in the same way. Well, I, I loved this little piece here, too. It says, uh, after he explains how the money went to help fund these 33 people to go to college debt-free, it says those people got together 14 years after the death of a man they never met. 
they all gathered around his lunchbox and talked about the difference he had made in their lives. Mm. And I thought, you know, you and I both get to, and I say get to with a, a strange sense of honor that we both get to officiate funerals a good deal. Yep. And there is always that sense. It's typically someone that you know and you know really well, but sometimes you officiate a funeral and you don't know the person that well, but yep. you can still sense the gathering is really meaningful because it has a way of crystallizing the most important stuff in life Yes, and how easy it is for that to get choked out just in our weekly rhythms of schedules and games and recitals and, you know, that kind of stuff is important, but I don't know, something like this where in particular it was a guy that did something phenomenal and they'd never met him before. I think of that, that quote from, uh, from Peterson in the pastor when he says the pastor is at his best when his work goes unnoticed. Yeah. This idea of just like quietly, faithfully like blessing and caring for people. And I think, yeah, I want to. I want my life to look more like that. And we do live in such a culture, and I feel this, where we want everybody to know everything we do, right? Put, look put at on me, social media, right, get the likes. Right. Hey, I'm a farmer who I think I'm going to send people to Scotland. People, that yeah, the right, best. right. This guy just saved and saved and saved, and I don't know how the mechanisms were, but he said, "I want after I'm gone, I want my money to send kids to college," and then he did it. Like, there's also something about doing it quietly that's just really. Uh, impressive. It's so refreshing because yeah. there is a temptation to anytime you do something, you know, kind or uh, philanthropic or any of that, you know, to, well, I should tell somebody, I should let somebody know I did this just to serve and, you know, love people quietly, I think is, is really honoring. So a, uh, a heart, uh, heartfelt, uplifting story to get us started today. And hopefully you hear that. Pay it forward. Yeah. Who can you do these kinds of things for? Well, we're off and running here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Coming up next... Uh, Carl Vader's at Christianity Today says this, great churches don't give people what they want. We're going to discuss what he means by that next on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. Uh, you can always continue the conversation at Facebook. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We're glad and thankful uh, to all of our listeners. I find myself saying thank you now. Ever since last week, you kind of introduced that concept. I introduced you the concept of thank you, thanking people for listening, <laughs> thanking people for podcasting. So I'm I'm glad if I could play a small so, role in that. Thank you for teaching me to say thank <laughs> oh, you. Very good, Brian. <laughs> thank you. Well done. For thanking you. Yes. I, I actually went back and listened to the podcast, and uh, I was just trying to listen to it as just a general person listening. And I hope that they know how genuine that is. That mm-hmm. isn't some sort of like a lot uh, of places for you to listen and do. Yeah, other right. That you would, right. Exactly. That there, you have a lot going on. The fact that you would spend any time with us at all actually really means a lot. Yeah, it really does. So thank you for doing that. Uh, as if you've been with our show at all, you know that uh, when we don't have guests and other stuff, we kind of just find articles or th- events in the news, things that pique our interest. And there was one such article this week at ChristianityToday.com. Do you notice how good I'm getting at saying that now? Christianity so Today. Good. Ever since Mark Galley was here, I, like, I think I got over my mental hurdles. So. His, his presence yes. uh, helped, helped straighten that out for Actually, you. Actually, before you got here, him and I, I, I would keep saying Christianity Today back to him, and he would say <laughs> You had like vocal coaching from yes. him prior to my arrival. Christianity Today. Good. Uh, at ChristianityToday.com, Carl Vaders, who has been on the show before, uh, writes great stuff at Christianity Today also does a lot of work about small churches. He's a pastor. Uh, But he wrote an article here entitled, Great Churches Don't Give People, parentheses, including pastors, what they want. It says, Great churches don't promise more of what we already have. They show us an entirely new way 
to be. He says, Henry Ford famously said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Today, if you were to ask the average pastor what they don't want, most would probably say a bigger church. And if you ask the average Christian what they want, they might say a church that meets my and my family's needs. In other words, we want a faster horse, more of what we already have. And he begins to unpack that. So what are your thoughts on his premise and kind of how he unpacks this a little bit? Well, you know, I grew up in Detroit, so I've heard the Henry Ford quote a good deal. And uh, I think it's a great quote, I think, especially as someone who is just this prolific innovator and thinker and inventor. But we did a segment last week, too, that talked about, man, what makes the world go round, actually, are not the innovators, it's the maintainers, Mm. which I'm kind of bringing that perspective into some of this article because I've heard this particular sentiment a lot, um, but sometimes to justify leaders that almost seem to perpetuate just making sure people are unhappy. Like, ah, we're not about giving you what you want. You don't like it, but it's for your own good. And sometimes there's a little bit of a caution for me. Like, okay, well, that's not that's not 100% true all the time. And, I, you know, I heard somebody recently talking about, hey, sometimes my kids don't want to eat vegetables, but they still need to eat the vegetables. Mm -hmm. As a as a preacher, as a leader, as a communicator and a pastor, I do totally get that. Sometimes, probably more often than I'd like to admit, we got to tell people hard truths like, hey, this topic is going to be a rough one or this conversation, this conclusion is going to be. But ultimately, we're to be proclaiming good news. So sometimes I wonder if we like unnecessarily say, ah, I'm not about giving you what you want. Right. Is, is there some sense that man, who we truly are, the truest sense of ourselves, sometimes that will align with what we want mm-hmm. because the Holy spirit is actually like weeding stuff away from our heart. And like, I want that and is good for me. It's, I think that's possible too. Don't you think like, I don't know that the rubric is, is a hundred percent accurate all the time. There's a little bit of black and white in this that might not be helpful, but he says, Uh, Similar to Henry Ford, Steve Jobs said, a lot of times people don't know what they want until you show it to them. That's a very Steve Jobsian (laughs) guy. Right. I'll tell you what you want. That actually played out in his life, right? Like, uh, you didn't know you wanted this iPhone, but let me tell you about this iPhone. (laughs) Yeah, right, Uh, right. So he goes from there. Vader's does here. He says, that's what great churches do. They don't promise more of what we already have. They show us an entirely new way to be. They don't try to pamper us. They encourage and equip us to bless others. They don't help us find ourselves. They help us find Jesus. They don't play to the crowd. They help us stand up to the crowd when necessary. They don't entertain us. They disciple us. They don't give us more of what we want. They show us what we really need. And there's part of me that's like, yeah, amen. That's good. Uh, Another part, a little bit of what you hit on that feels a little bit of black and white kind of... a little straw man there, but what do you think about the things that he laid out there of what great, he uses the phrase great churches, that these are the things that great churches do. Yeah. I, so it goes on to a list. Uh, it says they don't promise more of what we already have. They show us an entirely new way to be. They don't try to pamper us. They encourage and equip us to bless others. They don't help us find ourselves. They help us find Jesus. They don't play to the crowd. They help us stand up to the crowd yep. when necessary. They don't entertain us. They disciple us. And I, you know, again, I think it's an unnecessary dichotomy, yes. to be completely honest. I get what they're going after, but kind of laced throughout the article is this, give them something new. And I do think we have a hyper-obsession with new mm-hmm. in the church to a fault. And that's maybe not totally what he's talking about here with the Henry Ford equation. But um, sometimes, like one of the things that you know we'll say is God... Uh, comforts the shaken, mm-hmm. but he also shakes the comfortable. Mm. The article is a lot of the shakes the comfortable part. Yeah, but on so. the other side of it, though, we have people all the time walking through our doors 
who who just need to be cared for mm-hmm. and say like, oh, we don't pamper you. We're gonna we're gonna equip you. Right now, they maybe don't need to be equipped. Now they just need to be cared for. Yeah. Right. Right now, right now they just need like to have a community of people surround them. Yeah. So like, it isn't just an. I don't think it is an either or. I think it's important, especially for the leader that's maybe most tempted to just tickle the ears or yeah. to appease the masses. Maybe th- this article. Uh, predominantly speaks to that sentiment. Like, yeah. hey, you can't, it's not just about what the majority wants or says. Like, oh, this is the way we always have to do Christmas because that's what everybody wants. <laughs> yes. Like, I, I see the temptation of that and uh, I think I think that's really wise, but I don't know. Sometimes it feels unnecessary to say, hey, it's not about what you enjoy, it's about what Jesus wants for you. Like, yeah. sometimes aren't they the same yeah. though? Couldn't they be? I don't know. I do appreciate here, and Vader's does this a lot, right? He very much focuses on the small church. I do appreciate his uh, th- his trying to reshift us away from like, what does every pastor want? A bigger church? What does every person want? Things from my needs. Trying to say the church is about something else. But I do think to go back to his giving them what they don't what they don't even know that they need. I don't know of many people who, if you ask them what do you want in church, would say meet all my needs. Yeah, sometimes I, I it agree. plays out that way because we haven't yeah. given them something else to want. Okay, that's uh, good. But I, I wrestle with that because I don't know many people. If I said, hey, what do you most wish Four Corners Community Church uh, could grow in? If right. they would say, give me this, give me this, give me this. I actually mm-hmm. think people are like, no, I want to make a difference in the world. We just don't have a good, hmm. it's hard to get our minds around. Yeah, I, I, that's you're kind of touching on what I'm feeling. Like we need to give people more credit too, I think. Yeah. Obviously there are people that are just going to want to scam a church or they just want all the goodies and no sacrifice. Obviously, you know, we, we also talk about church is a, it's a battle cruiser, not a cruise liner, you know, like it's here to be equipped to be sent on a mission. I I think that's a helpful, helpful metaphor, but I do think we need, we need to give people credit that like what you said, people are coming to our churches wanting to make a difference and they're wanting to improve their marriages and they're wanting to raise their kids. Well, and I don't think any of those things are bad. So when he says we don't, we don't give them more of what they want. We show them what they really need. Sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes yep. what they want is what they need. And I think uh, if taken to the extreme, this line of reasoning can very easily become, oh, we are the leaders. We'll tell you what you need. Don't pay attention to your heart. We'll, we'll decide what you yeah. need. Now, obviously, pastors and leaders need to make hard decisions to say, hey, nobody's asking for a series on tithing. We got to talk about tithing. Yes. Like, we, it's not just for the sake of the church, but because a lack of generosity does something to our heart. That's not good. So people yeah. aren't usually like knocking down my door. Like, when are we going to talk about money again? But we know we as leaders, it. we, we got to go there. And it's important. You know, yeah. it is interesting. I think you make a great point though. Cause most of the people I interact with, when you say, what, what do they want more of? It's usually more of Jesus, more authentic discipleship, more this, right? Exactly. We just have a hard time pulling that off and painting a picture of what that looks like. So we'd love your feedback. We'll, uh, we've posted this at Facebook and uh, would love to hear some more feedback at the Common Good Radio Show. We'll come up next uh, as we do each Monday. Ian and I are going to talk about what we preached about yesterday. Monday is always a strange day for us pastors. And uh, we'd love to share with you what we preached at our specific churches. So that's coming up next at the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. I say this every time this music brings us back, but this is like, I think my favorite one. Don't know who it's by, but why can you tell me why it's your favorite one? It's smooth, man. It's just smooth. (laughs) It's just smooth. Like you could just kind of, you know, just kind of sway my head a little bit. 
I like it. Do you like this sim- one? I mean, I don't not like it. But not your favorite. I don't think so. Which which uh, genre is your favorite? Like faster? Like the no Marvel such way? thing, man. I, it's it's all it ebbs and flows with the mood, the weather, the what I had for breakfast. The weather's it's, beautiful it's, today. But yeah, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying this music fits the people. weather. I had steel cut oatmeal today. Oatmeal today. It feels like it goes with that. Oh, you're so you're so woke, man. Eating steel cut oatmeal, Panera. Woo! Steel cut oatmeals and strawberries. Brought to you by <laughs> please no. Panera. Please yeah. Yeah. <laughs> brought to you by please Panera. Please call us back. <laughs> you can pay us in steel cut oatmeal. I'll go for that. Uh, I don't think we're allowed to do that. I don't think we are either. <laughs> I will turn away that steel cut oatmeal. <laughs> I will turn it away. No, we can absolutely do that. Uh, so this past, uh, yesterday, this past Sunday, uh, you and I both preached, and um, we always say Mondays are, are a weird day for pastors. You wake up kind of groggy. Do you want to know something uh, that as I get older, I actually feel a little physically sore after preaching on, Mon- on Monday morning, which is really weird. Yeah. Well, how? I don't understand Hamstrings, that. A little hamstring action, well, I think. What are you doing during the sermon? Nothing. I'm just you, you're just doing Did you hear me preface this as I get older? Are you just doing deep lunges for 30 minutes straight? I, that think, was- I think I realize why a lot of especially older pastors like hang on to the, like they lean forward and they're just on the pulpit. I think I'm, I'm about two years from They're that. not doing it for emphasis. They're doing it just to steady they're themselves. They're doing it for stability. <laughs> about 10 minutes through the sermon, time to brace myself against the podium for a second. Take a, take a knee. I'm going a long time today, people, so I'm leaning forward right now. And so That's got to be a signal to the people. They're like, I wonder if Brian's going to go short today. And nope. then you like lean against the podium like, okay, uh, it's going to be a marathon. Here I'm we. old, but I'm still talking. Here I'm we go. I'm still talking. So anyway, uh, oh, boy. tell us about what you preach us. I saw a little bit of it online. It looked it looked interesting. So uh, where'd you go with yesterday? Yeah, it was a really interesting topic. So it's a three-part series called The World's Gone Mad, to which people have said, amen. Amen. <laughs> week one, we were talking about mad at me. Sometimes the person that we're angriest at is ourselves. And uh, last week, we talked about mad at us. How do we sort of uh, deal with church conflict in particular and kind mm. of take the John 17 call to unity, not uniformity. But yesterday... We talked about mad at them, like whoever the uh, whoever the them is. And, you know, we we I started off kind of lighthearted. You know, I put up two images on the screen and had people vote, you know, cats versus dogs or mm-hmm. tea versus coffee or Mac versus PC. But then I was like, what is it? What What is it like, though, when it comes down to things like Democrat versus Republican or pro-life versus pro-choice or Black Lives Matter versus all lives matter? Like when mm. we hear those conversations, you went all in. We really did, actually. And it was it was such an interesting response in the room, too, because you have this like lighthearted like, oh, cats versus dogs. And then you start saying some of those words and people are like, oh. I see where we're going with this. Yeah. So we spent. Can some, we go back to the cats? Yeah, and right. Dogs, that was more fun at the beginning. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about this quote that I read from Andy Stanley years ago. That's always resonated. He said, "Never make a point at the expense of making a difference." Mm-hmm. And the the whole kind of sentiment was that it's so much. It's so easy to make points. Yep. You know, go online and people are just sort of like jabbing left and right. But the goal isn't for us to win arguments. Our yeah. goal, our mission, is helping people find their way back to God. And so often, I think we get distracted just by. You know, trying to win arguments. And I uh, I read actually an excerpt from an article that we read here um, from the, um, it was called The Perception Gap yep. by the More, Inco- More in Common Group. Yep. And uh, and I talked a little bit about this other story about this this study conducted in some high school classroom where they, they said, okay, I'm going to whisper in the ears of everyone here. And some of you will be regular people. Some of you will be witches. They're talking about the Salem witch trial. The goal is to like get the biggest group possible without having any witches in your group. And so they did this big experiment and then they said, okay, would every witch raise their hand and no one raised their hand and the kids were all upset. 
and said, told the teacher that he screwed up. And he's like, did I? Because were there any actual witches or do people just believe what they were told? Uh, he said, that's how you teach students how easy it is to divide a community. Yeah. So talked about Second Corinthians 5 and, and the call to be reconciled, not just that we're reconciled, but it gives us the ministry of reconciliation. But I think the anchor verse is in Colossians 4. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Yeah. Let your conversation be always full of grace, which my conversation often isn't. Yep. Seasoned with salt so that you will know how to answer everyone. And that idea that salt is, you know, is not like it was, to be salty now is to be snarky, you yep. know, but yep. like the word salt carries with it like the weight of wisdom, but also, you know, things that are are not dull or flat. So yep. we kind of ask the question, what kind of flavor are you bringing to your conversation? How do we actually work towards, you know, <clears throat> erasing the lines and distinctions that we so often draw of like yeah. us versus them? And what does oh. it mean to be Jesus in the world? And it was, yeah, it was, we talked about remembering your identity. First and foremost, that'll inform the way you, you address people. Find an affirmation, even if you're just affirming the person. And like learn to ask good questions. Just mm -hmm. things that we don't typically do. And it was, it felt really practical, but like a really timely message for us. And that is timely. Uh, we jumped into yesterday was week one of first John. So we're oh, right the rest on. of the summer. We're going to go through first John. I've never preached through first John before. And uh, just did the first four verses yesterday, his kind of introduction. And it was uh, a lot. Uh, interestingly, the direction we went was a lot of what you just talked about. So mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting the kind of the convergence of points uh, and a, a phrase that you've used a lot on the show here is something that I used three or four times yesterday in the sermon. And that was about the goal I first started talking about my, my marriage to my wife and how we get two different pizzas because we can't agree on pizza. Topics. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but then uh, there are things in our marriage where we have to uh, be on in the same step. And so I use the phrase, uh, you, uh, the goal's not unity. Uh, the goal's not uniformity. It's unity. Yes, that's right. Uh, that, which you've used many times and mm -hmm. I've kind of taken on. And then so I said, like that's true in marriage. It's also true in the church. That's good. And we talked about that. And so I said, I set that up for that's what John's attacking here. I talked about Gnosticism and. Uh, basically, John is trying to say that the person and work of Jesus is a non-negotiable and it is foundational mm. and that the Gnostics were attacking that in the church. Uh, but then out of it, very interestingly, he says, so we talked about that for a while, that that's that's something that we must hold tightly to. Mm. Uh, and then out of that, John talks about fellowship or community. Mm. And so I tried to talk about how the deepest community we can have is with brothers and sisters in Christ and yep. that bond that we have. This is where I got a little political. I said it 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 goes above your favorite sports team, what college you went to, your hometown, who you're going to vote for, yeah. whether you're an R or a D after your name, all this kind of stuff. Wow. You know, people. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, and uh, dove into a community that way. And then also he says literally in verse four. I am writing this so that our joy may be complete Yeah, and said, you know, what do we look to for to be complete? And I said, is, you know, I listed a bunch of things. One of them being there's the candidate. I love win all the, you know, right. But I right. also talked about, you know, if I lose 10 pounds, if I gain mm -hmm. a little more money, if mm -hmm. I do this, this, and, and talked about what Christian joy is and what it looks like that that's complete. Uh, so of course I obligatory threw up uh, Tom Cruise from, uh, uh, Jerry Maguire Obviously. when he says you complete me. Obviously. Uh, I mean, what kind of be a bad pastor if I didn't. And so really felt good about it. Felt mm. good about reminding our church. What are the essentials? What's an essential? Yep. The person and work of Christ. And, uh, and it was a really timely one because we had a room that also had people who were just there to watch the kids sing after VBS. Right. right? And so, right. Uh, I was just able to be honest with people be like, some of you, you never do this church thing, right? This isn't for you. Well, let, 
let me tell you what you, here's the question. You need to answer the Jesus question, hmm. whether you hate church or not. Yeah. And so I uh, felt good about it. I'm excited to work through first John. And uh, are you done with your series now? Yeah. Yeah. We're actually, so we also, over the summer, we have a three part uh, video series um, that's, they're not right next to each other. So next weekend will be the final installment of what we call the conversation series. So we talked about uh, yes. uh, immigration. We talked about mass incarceration um, and we're talking about mental health. Uh, this Sunday. So we're interviewing the guy that founded to write love on our arms and uh, talking particularly wow. about like depression and, and uh, mental illness. And I, I just think it's, it's going to be a fantastic conversation. One that I think a lot of people are really going to really going to appreciate. Well, we, we love to share just what we preach because primarily we're pastors and we're preachers and we love to do that on a Sunday morning. Uh, if you've got questions from what we raised, you can ask us those at the common good radio show on Facebook. Well, coming up next, we're going back to Christianity today. Uh, their new president and CEO, uh, Timothy Dalrymple, uh, wrote an article, an editorial entitled this on court profits and wilderness profits. We're going to unpack that one next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad you're joining us on this Monday afternoon. Hopefully your drive home is going well. Beautiful weather today. And uh, we are we're excited to be together again. Well, at ChristianityToday.com, uh, their new president and CEO, a man by the name of Timothy Dalrymple, someone I'm sure we'll look to have on the show here in the future. Yes, please. Uh, because we certainly do a lot with Christianity Today uh, on their articles. And he wrote an editorial. Man, he really came out swinging. I think this will, I don't know if this was his first one, but it's, it's early in his uh, tenure at Christianity Day, kind of giving his heart for Christianity today, while at the same time looking at the landscape of evangelical Christianity that Christianity Today speaks into and asking some hard questions, I would say. Uh, so his article, his editorial is entitled On Court Profits and Wilderness Profits. This was kind of flying around Facebook and Twitter after it came out. Um, and uh, it was on our show page. We would love to hear what you have to say about it there. It just came out a couple days ago at Christianity Today. So uh, wondering your thoughts on it, kind of his, what are, uh, what's he trying to get at here, and then uh, what do you think about what he says here? Well, it was, it was actually really interesting to see this start to float around the Internet because I was just having a conversation with my good friend Jeff Boris. He's an arts director at Community Christian, brilliant mind, just good at way too many things, and we were talking about, kind of the two functions of prophets. And we used a little bit different language. We call them uh, desert prophets and temple prophets, okay. but almost exactly the same thing that he's talking about here, how uh, you've had, you know, in the old Testament in particular, you have the desert prophets were, were often, um, you know, the ones that seemed like a little unhinged. And there was, there's a lot of like theater and a lot of theatrics and they often, you know, went crazy or yep. were killed. And then you have, the, for example, where, so people could put some, I John think the John the Baptist yeah. is a perfect example of that. Not in the Old Testament, obviously, right, right, but right, there's right. You, you pick, you know, a, almost any of the minor prophets yep. in the Old Testament. There was, it was very, um, very dramatic, a lot of imagery, um, but, you know, almost always speaking truth to power in some yes. kind of profound, explicit way. But then you also have the temple prophets and this article calls them the court prophets. So the people that sort of worked to influence from the inside out usually had like the king's ear and Nathan's a great example where, you know, after uh, David and Bathsheba, Nathan tells this story mm-hmm. and David is, you know, infuriated by the character in the story. And Nathan's like, yeah, you're the guy in the story. So he's 
still speaking truth to power, but yeah. from within the temple, from within the courts. And so he's kind of going after uh, a really important distinction between the two kinds of prophets in a modern day context, which we do need to be careful about. I think too mm-hmm. closely linking prophetic imagination with like political infrastructure in a modern Western context. It's not quite the same. That's mm-hmm. an important distinction, but the general principles I think are, are, are really, really important. And he kind of goes after some of our, our current political social climate. And I think it's, I think it's really helpful. Yeah. So he says he uses Nathan and John the Baptist as the example uh, and so he I love this paragraph here. Uh, he says some of our readers voted for President Trump in enthusiastic support or in reluctant pragmatism. Others rejected him. And here he's kind of giving his vision for Christianity today. He says Christianity today should be a place where brothers and sisters in Christ reason with one another passionately and charitably. Let's seek to understand as much as we seek to be understood. I want to pause there because he you could pull out the word Christianity today and put in the word uh, Four Corners Community Church sure. or Community Christian Church or whatever else, you, wherever else we are with other Christians, whatever else that community is for us. Uh, do you sign on to what he says there? Do you do you hope that in our current political climate that we are a place where brothers and sisters can reason and ultimately say, you know what, but we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We can agree to disagree. Or do you feel like the stakes are too high for that? I, it, that's too broad a question, I think. I Obviously, too, I mean, we were just talking in the last segment, the whole sermon yesterday was about learning to erase the lines yep. of us versus them. But I, I keep thinking of an article we read four months ago that talked about the the headline was a little clickbaity, but it was, there is no virtue in finding common ground. And the whole point of the article was that sometimes you do actually need to dig your heels in and say, yep. Nope, this is wrong. This is evil. I need to stand with the marginalized and the oppressed. This looks nothing like Jesus. So I think obviously, yeah, the, his like vision for brothers and sisters to reason with one another passionately, but also graciously like yeah. to, that's kind of what we said yesterday too. It's not, I'm not saying don't disagree. We need to disagree. We actually are better for it. Yes. And we enter into the humanity of each other when we learn to ask questions rather than just assuming how wrong the person is. I kind of want to just read the second page of this, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. I think it just says some really important things. Uh, Again, you can read the whole article on our Facebook page or Christianity Today. Um, It says, the racial inflection of our political drama adds deeper significance to the moment. White Christians have a long and lamentable history of silence, or worse, when people of color are under attack. On the one hand, I sense today an authentic desire among white Christians to build bridges of relationship and reconciliation with their friends and neighbors of other ethnicities. On the other hand, I sense a profound frustration among non-white Christian friends that their white brethren keep silent as the president aims ugly, ugly and demeaning statements at people of color. These friends don't like what the silence of the white church is saying, and neither do we. If white Christians wish to stand on the bridge with borders and, uh, with brothers and sisters of other colors and backgrounds, they need to stand with them first in the foxhole. We should all stand so close that the attacks on, quote, them or attacks on, quote, us, until there is no longer a distinction between them and us remaining. If we abandon our sister in the foxhole, we cannot expect her to attend our potluck. So let us not be silent. We are not captive to a political party. We are accountable to a higher authority. We expect better of our leaders, and we stand in the foxholes with our brothers and sisters when they are taking fire. We hope court prophets and wilderness prophets alike and Christians of all political persuasions will speak the truth and stand with those who suffer unjustly. That's a sermon right there, man. Yeah, I mean, that's, and I don't know much about this guy or his background, but I think that's something that I'm going to chew on for, for a long time. So two interesting things come to mind for me out of that. And one is that this is, 
I mean, this is kind of the opening salvo of the president and CEO of Christianity Today. Right. He's kind of putting a, uh, a stake in the ground here uh, for the future of where Christianity Today is heading. And yeah. uh, uh, gutsy, man, gutsy. And uh, uh, and interesting to see how this plays out going forward here for kind of the flagship uh, magazine slash website for evangelicals. Uh, secondly, it is so it, it, it's powerful and it is, I think, quite frankly, uh, you and I have been surprised a little inside baseball by the blowback we get when we turn a little political on this show. Like that's when people come firing. Right. Yeah. And um, and I, I do like what he's saying here, like, a we need to wade into these conversations. Right. Uh, they are important. People are watching. And B, is there a way that we can do this? Uh, that isn't always us against you, and we're we're just lobbing grenades at each other. But where we as Christians are showing something different than what our culture is doing, I'm not sure we're doing that well as a, as a Christian culture right now. But I think he's trying to map out a way, or trying to give a vision for what this could look like if if again we take up this role, like you said, his thing about wilderness prophets and core prophets. And I think it's again, it's still too broad to say are we or are we not doing this good as Christian culture. Uh-huh. Because there are a lot of churches that I think are doing this wonderfully. 100%. And I think there are a lot of churches that have a long way to go. And I think we're, you know, we're probably stuck somewhere in the middle there. And I want to always be mindful in these segments to to not just read blindly what someone else said and say, hey, this is what we all need to do. But to also be mindful of like, okay, there's some conviction here, even in the ways that I know I've teetered on. Ah, Do I say something? Do I not say something? Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole sermon yesterday was not making a point at the expense at the expense of making a difference. Yeah. Sometimes making a point feels like the difference and that, that can be really hard to navigate. Right. We'd love uh, your feedback on this article out of Christianity today. You can do that at the common good radio show on Facebook coming up next. uh, We're going to talk about a sad story about a well-known pastor, Joshua Harris. That is coming up next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can continue the conversation at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, online, old shows at 1160hope.com. You can follow our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we thank you in advance uh, for doing that. Uh, you and I both, uh, we are both, I almost said we're both old youth pastors, former <laughs> youth pastors. I like to have yeah, those both uh, apply. To, I like to not think that, uh, that we are old, uh, but. Uh, especially when I was younger and then into youth ministry days, one of the uh, most well-known names going around was a guy by the name of Joshua Harris. Mm-hmm. And so Joshua Harris was super well-known because I believe at the age of 21, he wrote in 1997, uh, a bit of a groundbreaking book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And uh, what the purpose of that book or the premise of that book was uh Christian, especially teenagers, will save themselves a lot of pain and almost you're setting up a divorce culture when we allow people just to date and break up 
and so it's just set up for pain. So instead, what teenagers should do, uh, I believe at the heart of it was kind of this courtship idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, if if not out there promised, uh, kind of uh, promised in the background of this book was kind of, if you do this, you're setting yourself up for a much healthier, better marriage, uh, better sex life, better everything. And so it kind of played into, if not built, a lot of kind of that youth ministry purity culture that said, we're going to put a lot of eggs in the remaining pure basket. And so the whole true love weights movement and all of that things. Well, uh, over the last year or two, Joshua Harris, he's kind of uh, disowned, for lack of a better word, the book said people should stop reading it, which I remember reading like, man, this was like. This book was a big deal. This shaped a generation of Christian kids. But he kind of came out saying, I can see now some flaws and some weaknesses in the book that were unhelpful, even dangerous. Uh, And all of this kind of built to this weekend on Instagram. Uh, Joshua Harris uh, and his wife announced on Instagram that they are divorcing and that they are uh, hopefully going to remain friends, but that they are separating And uh, kind of there was a lot going around about this, especially our age. I think people our age who are so well versed in this book going, wait, Joshua Harris is getting divorced. Right. Uh, So it does remind us that marriage is hard. uh, Divorces sadly happen and and that it's sad. And uh, but there seems to be a deeper thing going on around around evangelicalism about this story. So really just curious when you read this, uh, just kind of your thoughts on it. I don't know if this makes me a bad Christian or not. I, I never read I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I, you know, I actually never read it either. Oh, really? Okay. Just, I knew so many people that had that I felt like I had. I got the premise really? of it, but I never read it either. Which is, uh, I think, worth saying, cards on the table. We've not yep. read this book that we're about to maybe weigh in on. <laughs> which, yes. you know, I always am hopefully cautious to do. But I think the, the general principle, though, of I Kiss Dating Goodbye was f- follow these rules and your marriage will be safe. Yep. Right? Which is why this is a story in the first place. And I think you already touched on it. It is just heartbreaking. Like it makes yes. it makes me sad, and I know that he's come out a number of times the last few years saying, "Hey, what I wrote twenty years ago, I don't I don't think I really agree yeah. with anymore, and I think there's value to dating." And he's been more gray in other areas, but in general, though, like I saw this, it legitimately made me sad. I saw it and was like, "Oh man, that that bums me out." And it's hard mm. not to speculate on some of the some of the subtext and the backstory, which is probably not even worth us exactly. talking about here. But but it's hard not to do it, it right? And one of the things that I I have often said, um, you know, because I didn't get married till my 30s. So for a while there, you'd have a good perspective on this. For well, sure. and I was also becoming like the guy you invite to speak to your teens on singleness. So I was teaching <laughs> at colleges and high schools. At what age did that happen? All the time. I'll, I'll be up until about when I got married. Uh, I was going to guess, like, did it happen at like 25 where people are like, oh, hey, he's getting a little this bit. Is a guy, right, there right. Right. He's got something to say about this. But, you know. And I have a lot of thoughts specifically on singleness in the ways that I think the church has really not been helpful mm. or just unintentionally absent when it comes to how we talk about that. So that's sort of a side issue. But one of the things that I remember saying a good deal that sometimes got me in some trouble, I would mm-hmm. say the goal is not virginity. The goal is holiness. And mm. when we hold up this like much like the book seems to do like, hey, just do these things and you're guaranteed this version of a marriage right. and we're, we're hearing more and more now, it should seem obvious to us that that actually doesn't, there might be some good principles in that book. Even I'm not, I'm not knocking the sure. whole entire premise, but when we assume that if I play by these rules, I'm guaranteed this outcome, 
that's dangerous when you're talking about relationships yeah. and theology and child rearing and all of these things. And I, that's mm. part of where I think it gets a little tricky is because people now are coming out talking about how they were sex shamed and, you know, any level, even feeling certain things was, yeah. was kind of really denigrated. And yeah. I think it create it perpetuates a lot of what we've talked about in other, in other contexts where if the church the best thing the church can offer is like, just don't do this, 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 or this. You'll be yes, safe. Yes. Like, okay, those are all things we're against. What are we actually for? How do right. we actually move forward? And the book's answer was, you know, courtship. But now we're finding that there was a lot more going on there that he now in his 40s just, you know, doesn't agree with. And that that's heartbreaking. But also I imagine um, to some degree, like, all right, well, at least he's still growing, I guess, in his understanding. But the to have the divorce in the midst of all of it is is. It's just really sad. Yeah. And, and the danger in this, and there is a subculture in Christianity and evangelical Christianity that's there's like a TMZ version to it. So, you know, when they wrote on Instagram in recent years, some significant changes have taken place in both of us. If I read another tweet trying to guess what those significant changes were mm. over the weekend, that's just not helpful. Right. Um, but what I would say, like you said, th- there's it, it, there's an interesting uh, conversation going on just even about. Uh, how we talk about sexuality, particularly to our teenagers and uh, people uh, of that age. I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, I used to try to, I, it was like a light bulb for me because the first couple of years, it was just like you just said, don't do this, don't do this, right. don't do this. And there would inevitably be that boy who raised his hand. And you know what question he asked? What can we do? Yeah, right. Those are all the things I'm currently doing. So right. now <laughs> so what? <laughs> please draw the line for me. And I remember right. being an epiphany one day going, where else in Christianity do we say, here's the line as far as you can get, and then we're going to stop you, as opposed to like, no, let me paint a picture of what holiness looks like and what uh, abundant life in Christ looks like and any of this stuff. And so uh, I think that's where we need to be pointing people. But I also think, man, it's just a good highlight again uh, that there's that marriage takes a lot of work. And I have no idea what broke up their marriage. Right. This could be 20 years in the making. This could be uh, six months in the making. Yeah. But I'm constantly reminded when I do when I read these stories of instead of pointing fingers like, oh, see, you were you didn't know what you're talking about. Instead going, gosh, marriage is really hard. Marriage can be really hard. And we got to take that really seriously. Well, and part of what I find really difficult about some of what people are coming out to say about the book and their experience with purity culture is that if we present young people in particular with a formula that says do this plus this guaranteed this and 15 years in your marriage, you didn't get that. It's completely understandable that the person would assume that they're the one that's broken or they somehow punched in the numbers wrong or, you know what I mean? Yep, like what you're saying. Them, yeah. Right. And I think that can create a perpetual spiral of shame because, hey, I did all these things. I was guaranteed this. No one ever told me that we'd go through this rough patch yep. or that we wouldn't see eye to eye or that. Yeah, honestly, even like sexually, we wouldn't it wouldn't just be fireworks all the yep. time. Like, yep. I think when you're. When you're handed a particular version of some of this, it can it's very easy to put all the blame back on you. And I'm not saying that that isn't sometimes the case. Yep. But the point of marriage isn't finger pointing, but right? it's not it's not about blame shifting. It's about like, all right, how do we how do we work through this together? And I think sometimes some of what we read when we were teens maybe didn't set us up for success there. Yeah, marriage marriage is just hard. Yeah. It, it's wonderful. It is the greatest journey, but it's a hard journey. Yes. And uh, I I always love when people get their who I'm doing premarital counseling for, they'll get their eyes really wide when I tell them 
You know, I'm guessing in the first year of marriage, you're going to laugh more than you've ever laughed and probably cry more than you've ever yeah, cried. And yes. like, excuse me? <laughs> what? And you're like, it's just the truth. We're going to talk in three months and you're going to look at me and be like, oh, yeah, now I get what you're yes, talking about. Totally. Marriage is hard. So I guess one of the takeaways is be praying for them. This is they've got kids. This is a yes, sad story. Totally. Uh, and if you're married out there, uh, do the hard work of marriage. <laughs> like yep. use this as a red flag or a yellow flag. Uh, to ask some of your own hard questions. So uh, again, the feedback, we'd love to hear from you at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. Well, coming up next, uh, another hard subject. The title is this, 15 Habits of People with Concealed Depression. Concealed Depression. That is a tough line just right there. Uh, We're going to discuss that next here on the Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Now, I think this is a song that you probably like when we come back to. You're just, you're reading my head bobbing. I am. But you're reading it correctly, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll affirm that. It's the it's the strings, it's the whistling, it's the whimsical rhythm. Whimsical rhythm? What's not to like? Wow. What's not to like? Whimsical rhythm. Tell I, me I what you're hearing isn't whimsical. I do like this song. No, I do. Whimsical, <laughs> I'll go with it. I go, I go with it, but... uh yeah, no, I do. I do. I, I enjoy that we have and you're you are either to blame or credit for this, that hmm. we have so many different types of music coming back from breaks. Well, thank you. But I really enjoy them. I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, no, this one I like. Oh, not that one. No. Oh, that sounds like a spaceship. No, that's good. Right, next one you don't like. I want to know the moment that we I'll just the moment we play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That'll we'll be fun. Uh, so a hard topic here from awarenessact.com. It's titled yeah. this. 15 Habits of People with Concealed Depression. And so let me just read the beginning part of this, uh, and then we'll go through a list of 15. Uh, Depression is a very serious mental illness that often goes unnoticed for years. Amen to that. People with concealed depression are battling demons within themselves all on their own. They are not sharing their struggles, and they do not want to burden those around them. You see, for most people, wounds are not something we are open open about. We tend to bottle things up and attempt to remedy them on our own. If you're reading this, then you must know someone who you feel you need to better understand or you relate to this yourself. The following 15 habits are some of the most common I've noticed in people dealing with concealed depression. And before we go through this, I just read an article today. Sad. This is really sad. Robin Williams would have been 68 years old today. Oh, man. And you remember when he died, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. And people started connecting the dots uh-huh. about like, oh, maybe he was severely depressed and there yep. was some a new illness that was in there with him and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, when I read concealed depression, often like he's kind of one of the first ones yeah. uh, that comes to mind for me. And so I wrote an article about that. You, you wrote an article mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. About Robin Williams and this idea specifically. What I'd love to know the premise of that, like what you said in that article, and then we'll hop through these 15. Yeah, my, my premise was more coming at it from the perspective of a pastor and sort of unpacking some of the instances in Scripture where the person very well might have been depressed, thinking yeah. about like Jeremiah and Job and at times even the Apostle Paul and Solomon said some really dark stuff. And this idea that like if the Bible doesn't feel the need to hide these stories, maybe we yeah. don't either. Yep. Yep, um, yep. But also saying the ownership can't just it's kind of what really why I want to do this article because I, I saw a number of like clinical therapists sharing it, which kind of made me think, OK, maybe this is legit. Yes. It can't just be, hey, if you're really sad, let us know. and We'll help. Like we need to be on the offensive sometimes yes. to be mindful of these things in other people around us. And uh, I just think that's a really important shift that we sometimes miss. Yeah, you've done a good job in helping me realize again, like it's not enough for us to be like, hey, if you're sad or depressed, 
Raise Come a hand to us, right, right? right? Like, whereas that feels really compassionate to me. Like, oh yeah, that's good. We're making ourselves open. Yeah one of the offshoots of depression is they're likely not going to come to you. That's exactly Pastor, right. I need some help. That's so exactly right. Why don't you start us through this list of 15? This is the 15 habits are some of the most common that this person has noticed in people dealing with concealed depression. Yeah. And I encourage you to write these down or to listen back to the podcast or uh, even you can find the article on the Facebook page. Uh, number one, they are often quite talented and very expressive. A mm. lot of famous people have suffered from mental illness and this suffering gives them deeper emotions. If you really think about it, this in some form a source to, uh, is a source to their greatness. While we cannot always see it, their struggles are often reflected in their works. These people are able to bring something beautiful out of the darkness that consumes them. Gosh, that just sounds like Robin Williams. <laughs> like, no kidding. It's totally. really crazy. Totally. Number two, they tend to search for purpose. We all need a purpose in this life. We want to be sure that what we are doing in some form is meaningful. People suffering from hidden depression are not exempt from this. They, too, want to know the reason for their existence. They are much more susceptible of feeling things like inadequacy and anxiety, which leaves them searching for something they can never seem to achieve in their own minds. So true. All right. Number three, sometimes they make muted cries for help. Sometimes uh, we all need help when we are not expecting someone to feel weak or to be down in the dumps. We don't see their cries for help. However, if you notice their cries and can help them in any way, you are creating a very close and trusted, trust-filled bond with them. So it's just paying closer attention yeah. to things like their social media feeds and the stuff they say in conversations. It's good. Number four, they interpret substances differently. Someone who's dealing with depression usually knows what it is they can take to ease their pain in a sense. They know that caffeine and sugar will raise their mood and that some medicines can help them. They actually have to put a lot of effort into feeling better. Unlike most people, it's not as simple as taking a Tylenol when you have a headache. Yeah, no kidding. Number five, they often have a very involved perception of life and death. People suffering from depression often face their own mortality in moments of despair and seek answers to life's deepest questions. They tend to shift from one terrible mindset into another. Sure, not all depressed people deal with suicidal thoughts, but some most certainly do. Number six, they have strange eating habits. People with depression may not be able to eat much or at all when they're at their worst. That being said, some of them may eat more when at their worst. It varies from person to person. That's This is a good highlight of kind of the gray area. That yeah, there's not right. like a litmus test. Here's another one that maybe you've noticed in somebody. They have abnormal sleeping habits. People with depression will often sleep for what seems like or may literally be days. Sleep at times can be impossible while other times can be the only thing left that the person can do. When a person is depressed, they're dealing with a state of helplessness that will rock their world. Number eight, they have abandonment issues usually. If you've dealt with abandonment, then you know how terrible it can be. When someone walks out of your life, it can be devastating. But this impacts those with depression much more than other people. It causes them to be more and more secretive about their feelings and creates a fear within them of being abandoned by their loved ones. Yeah, number nine, uh, they are professionals at coming up with a cover-up story. They are able to come up with believable, elaborate excuses for things they are going through, like if they skip an appointment or don't return your call for days, they can easily change the subject when things like this come up and turn the attention away from their pain. Mm. Number 10, they might have habitual remedies. There are several different lifestyle changes a person can make as an attempt to ease their minds. For instance, these people may do things like exercise, listen to music, go walking, and so forth. Yeah, number 11, they are always making efforts to seem happy. People suffering from depression learn to fake moods. They'll often come off as happy and normal on the outside, uh, when they let their inner struggles appear on the outside, they feel as if they're bringing others down. 
Uh, Number 12, they seek love and acceptance. People with hidden depression are not hiding their depression because they want to be dishonest. They're just working to protect their hearts. Right. These people want to be loved and accepted just like everyone else. Number 13, they have trouble shutting off their brains. These people process everything going on in their lives at a fast pace. Uh, They overanalyze the good and the bad, making everything impact them much deeper. Their brains are like sponges absorbing everything that comes their way. Number 14, they hurt when other people hurt. When other people are suffering, it brings them down to their worst points. This sort of thing often triggers their emotional pain and can be crippling. And lastly, number 15, they always think of the worst case scenarios. While this is a very uh, while this is very stressful, it can be beneficial from time to time. A high intelligence seems to be linked with depression and they are able to respond to anything that comes their way. This makes them uh, good problem solvers for the most part. And just concludes with this. If you or someone you care about is suffering from concealed depression, either get help or offer a helping hand. Fighting this alone is not easy or productive. The world can be a wonderful place if you get help and get the help that you need and they can stand in your way. You are not a burden to others and the people uh, who love and care about you want to help. Let them. Mm. Which I think is just a good, I mean, as pastors, this probably affects us more than the average listener, but maybe not. Maybe there are other people that are like hearing some of these lists and thinking, Oh man, so and so has definitely been modeling some of that. Maybe, maybe I should give him a phone call. Maybe I should shoot him a text. So, yeah, something as simple as that can make a big difference. I was, I was going to ask you the takeaway here. Do you think that that's the if if somebody comes to mind, you're hearing that list and you're like, uh oh, like that's, uh, is it is it be proactive? Go reach out. I phone think so. call, Text. Go knock on the door and be like, hey. I want to talk about how things are going. What what would you counsel someone in this? You know, people, I think, probably have the best sense of how their friend would respond to what they would say or wouldn't say. But mm-hmm. I think probably coming right out and saying, hey, heard this radio show. I think you're depressed is not the way to go about it. <laughs> but I'm amazed, though, at how many people have told me, hey, a random text. I said, hey, I was just thinking about you. I yeah. want you to know I'm praying for you. If you ever want to get coffee, let me know. Sometimes something as simple as that to sort of like break the rhythm of sort of the downward spiral of thought can be enough to to go, oh, Someone actually is thinking of me yeah. and knows me. I actually would love a cup of coffee. I would love to, you know, just being, it's taking a step further and saying, hey, if you ever ha- have any issues, let me know. Yeah. It's saying, hey, I'd love to get together if you have some time. And if this, if someone heard this and they're like, wait, that's me. Yeah. They're probably not surprised, but is it, uh, is our takeaway call a counselor? Like get some help? Yeah, absolutely. I think a counselor, a trusted friend, tell somebody. I think yeah. secrecy is probably the most hurtful, tempting part of all that to like, I don't want to burden anyone with that. So we yep. can kind of pull it deeper and deeper into the shadows, you know, let it, letting someone know, let the cry for help not, not be muted. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All good stuff. We would encourage you to read that list and uh, have the, the important conversations. If people or yourself uh, come to mind coming up next on the common good, we're going to talk about pastor David Jeremiah and his warning that the modern church is entertainment-driven social organization afraid of controversy. That's a big statement there we are going to discuss next on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Facebook, you can find us at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find old shows online at 1160hope.com. Or wherever you get your podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe, and uh, we are grateful for those of you who do that. You did not like the song coming back. You, you, you I, was, told I, was, I was holding back, uh, not doing the boo that uh, you were promising. This is I'm more mid. Uh, this was a uh, yeah, it was okay. I don't feel that strongly about it. That's why okay. I didn't do it. Not, you, you not my like, favorite. You immediately gave a face if people could see it of like, oh, I just nah. smelled something bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good description. That's how I felt. That's, that's it was kind of eh, okay. Uh, All right. Did you choose the song though? 
No, I didn't choose any of these songs. Oh, you didn't? I chose the bands, and I let uh, them choose the songs. Okay. And okay. every band has a stinker in there. You know, that's... Yep. That's unavoidable. That's unavoidable. <laughs> you're gonna have. You're gonna have that. So at the Christian Post, uh, just from yesterday, this article popped up. David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah is a very well-known pastor. Uh, he has a radio show, and uh, his uh, he said this. Uh, David Jeremiah warns: Modern church is entertainment-driven, social organization afraid of controversy. Uh, so I want to read a little bit of this. And uh, I would like the people out there listening to kind of form their opinion. And then you and I are going to talk about it. So uh, let's not work the other way where we help them with their opinion. Let's uh, let them form their opinion to what I read. All right. Perfect. Uh, Many U.S. churches today have, quote, forgotten their purpose, becoming entertainment driven social organizations eager to blend in with secular culture instead of focusing on biblical discipleship. Pastor David Jeremiah warned. The church is coming under attack. It's forgotten what the church is supposed to be, Jeremiah said. We're not an entertainment service. We're not here to see how close we can get to what the world does. But there's so much of the world in the church and vice versa that we can't tell a difference. We have to hold to the truth. We have to get nourished. If it's not happening, you're a social organization and not a church. Jeremiah, who serves as senior pastor at Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon, California, explained that amid a nationwide decline in church attendance, far too many churches have become obsessed with remaining relevant. There's an incredible motivation on the part of everyone to be successful, and a lot of times people program their churches to see how many people will sit in the pews on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with getting people there as long as you share the gospel, but there's no glory in just a number, so don't worship at the altar of attendance. A lot of good things happen in churches when there aren't huge numbers, but the pastors prepared a good message and there's worship. The New York Times bestselling author pointed out that ironically, churches that focus on entertainment and fail to present the whole gospel are actually driving millennials and Gen Z away. He cited research from Barna Group and the Cornerstone Knowledge Network, which found that 67% of millennials prefer a, quote, classic church over, quote, a trendy uh, one. So this keeps going and going and going, but I think you get the point. Uh, Ian Simpkins, pastor, uh, <laughs> hipster pastor, as somebody I knew used wow. to call him. No, I'm just kidding. Used to. No, I'm not. I'm no longer hip enough to I be hipster. You are. I just don't know that this person still calls you that. Uh, uh, thoughts on Dr. David Jeremiah's uh, kind of critique of what he sees as a growing trend in the evangelical church here in America. I see where he's going. Yep. I agree with some of it. This feels a little bit like an age old straw man, though, for me, that if people are enjoying it, it couldn't possibly be church. Mm. Like it's all, you know what I mean? Like this sort of false dichotomy, even even in the language of classic versus trendy. Trendy Mm -hmm. is is often used in a very negative sense. Yeah. Um, And I wonder like one of the one of the other words that often I kind of struggle with when people talk about, oh, that's just an attractional church. Yes. Like, wait, so they're attracting people? Why are we against that? Why are we? What did what happened to Jesus when he was healing people? He attracted people. He was multiplying food and healing people that were lowered through roofs, yes. and people were attracted to that. So I don't know that we need to fear the word attraction. I am. Uh, a big fan, and I do think some of the trend, particularly for younger people, is towards litur- liturgical gatherings, mm-hmm. which I think is very different, actually, than the kind of church he's talking about. Personally, when he talks about I agree. classic churches, I think uh, liturgy not only is incredibly beautiful and significant, but I think more and more young people are being drawn to it for a specific reason. 
But I also don't think that being entertained is the enemy. I think we just create this weird man. If you, if you came to a church and you don't really know what's going on with this Bible, Jesus stuff, you're like, man, the music was compelling to me. And I was engaged with the guy that had the microphone. I don't know that that's a terrible thing. I think we, it can't stop there, obviously to assume that, you know, formation is happening. There is probably a miss. Um, And a lot of the more like quote entertainment, minded churches probably could take some lessons from some liturgical playbooks to be honest but i don't know i I wonder Mm. the conversations like this articles like this i want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with the author i always i always feel like there's so much more to say here like what's really the point here like hey you uh like i think of even the rebuke that the pharisees often had toward jesus that he was you know a drunk and a glutton it was sort of like he can't be the messiah people like him you know like it was just this odd it just seemed impossible to them that he could actually be who he was claiming to be because of the way that he was living his life. And I sometimes wonder if in the name of piety, we say, you know, it's got, it's, it needs to be all this. And if it's not, then we're doing it wrong. I am totally with you. I feel like he's got some great points to make. He he totally does. About discipleship, about gospel. Um, I do. You used a good phrase, straw man. I do feel like it's painting with a broad brush because I don't know. uh, It just might be the people I kind of, am around i've never i i don't i'm in a couple different groups where the like different pastors will be and people want to reach people in this i never hear pastors use the word relevant and i never hear them use the word trendy right and i never hear them use the word like the concept of like how can we become more like culture to attract i don't know i like maybe that i don't know maybe there's something different about the the kind of the stream i'm swimming in but the pastors that i know they're talking about this they're talking about wanting to preach the gospel uh, we do. There are conversations about how do we reach people? How do we? Yeah, but that's okay. And that's I, I think and it should look different, to be honest. You're wired differently than I am. Yes. Our approaches should look different, I think. Absolutely. And so I do where where what he is describing is true. I want to say, go at a man like that's that's not what church should look at. We yeah. don't want to water down. Right. It's just not the churches that I know. And yeah, so same. maybe that confuses me. Well, I would be curious. You do maybe one of the issues because Matt Chandler, uh, there was an article about him just recently where yeah. he said basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it made me wonder, like, are these guys just swimming in streams with a lot of other really big churches? Mm. And that this is uh, something that big churches struggle with more because I'm not really swimming in that stream, but you are. Yeah. But it sounds like you're don't you're not seeing this either with the kind of your pastor friends and the people you're with, whether in your church or outside your church. I'm definitely seeing some of it. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying I'm not hearing any of this. And I think. This is part of the problem with leadership, pastoral leadership, is because you can learn the right things to say as well. Good point. And so you're a words guy, right? Good point. And so there, some, just because you're not hearing someone use the words trendy or relevant doesn't mean they're still not going after it with the same motivation. So that gets a little tricky because, like, oh, you literally, it's like when people, talk, I remember somebody recently was like, oh, Meg Ryan seems like such a nice lady. I'm like, you don't know Meg Ryan. Like, well, she seems nice. I'm like, she's literally paid to pretend. Like, that's what's what she does. So, I, you know, sometimes I think we can fool ourselves a little bit and, like, sprinkle some churchy language on some pretty shallow stuff. And, you know, as long as we can convince ourselves that, you know, we're doing the right thing. Um, but, I, you know, the other part, like, I remember, I think I told the story a couple of weeks ago about the kid that was asking me why why I sometimes tell jokes in yeah, sermons. That's right. That's right. Because I, like, I tell jokes in real life. Yes. And that's not, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think sometimes there is this weird dichotomy, like, wait a minute, I'm enjoying this. Oh, no, we're probably yeah. doing something wrong. Like, yeah. this isn't, I don't know. Sometimes I think, it, 
and again, like you were saying, different styles and approaches is actually, I think, good and right based on the the people that make up the community. It's you shouldn't try to do it like the guy next door. Yeah. You should be you know faithful to the call that God has given you, while also having the humility to say, all right, what can we learn? How can yeah. we grow? Maybe. Yeah. We have been too entertainment driven or too attractional. We've actually, you know, lost the plot on the formation piece. Yeah. But some churches, to be honest, are the other way as well. Hundred percent. It's so hard nosed formation that they haven't engaged with the non believer in twenty years. Yep. That's not good either. Nope. So I think I think we need to learn from each other. To be honest, I absolutely think you're right there. And so I do think he brings up great warnings here. And we did the Matt Chandler one a couple weeks ago. I think they're great warnings, especially for pastors to kind of diagnose their churches. Like, are we going down this pathway? I also want to be careful. And I love how you're saying it too. You want to be careful not to go broad brush. All churches are doing that. Yes. Right. I just just don't see it. Same. And I also don't see that as true. Agreed. Coming up next, we are going to land this plane the way we always do with just some internet insanities from the crazy mind of our executive producer, Keith Conrad. That is next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you join us. We end the show the same way every time. Uh, And I don't know why we do it, because it's just given (laughs) our executive producer, Keith Conrad, just uh, it's his ability just to... Yeah, give us the craziness that's within his mind. It is a little masochistic that we keep doing it every time, knowing what we're willingly stepping into. Because we love it. Is that why? I think so. That's the definition of masochism. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was insanity. All right, man, you go first. Did you give all the disclaimers to people? I mean, people don't get mad at us. It's from Keith. We're insulted if you're insulted. There you go. What state do you think we're starting with, Brian? Florida. Florida woman accused of assault over a pizza slice. I, uh, okay, I weirdly get that, yeah. Authorities have arrested a woman in Florida who, they say, tried to attack another woman with a knife. Oh, boy. When, when she was denied a slice of pizza. The St. Augustine, not St. Augustine, by the way, for those of you wondering, uh, reports 22-year-old <laughs> De'Erica Cooks is accused of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill. The St. John's County Sheriff's Office said Cooks became angry after another woman denied her a pizza slice when she asked for one. And an offense report says Cooks told the woman, I'm going to cut you with a steak knife in her hand and then trying to attack her. Deputies say a man in the house was able to take the knife away from Cooks. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> Again, don't bring Little Caesars into this. My hometown favorite, Mike Illich, is rolling over in his grave. Oh, Minnesota. Toddler drives battery-powered tractor to county fair without asking parents. Uh, A toddler is without wheels after the stunt he pulled Thursday night. Sheriff Sergeant Jason Foster tells KARE 11 uh, that, would you say CARE 11 or is it KARE? Either way sounds Uh, good to me. I did them both, so there you go. (laughs) Well done. The two and a half year old decided to take his battery powered John Deere tractor to the county fair without asking his parents. Dispatchers received a call about a missing child and had him safe with a deputy two or three minutes later in the middle of the fairgrounds. Then the scope of the little fella's big adventure became clear. As it turns out, the toddler lives only a block and a half or so from the fairgrounds and had seen the rides going up over the previous few days while riding in his parents' car. When the fair opened Thursday night, he was excited and he decided to check things out himself. Hmm. The who? The her. Oh, gosh. I I don't think we've ever done one out of Missouri, have we? Show me. Okay. Uh, Happy birthday, loser. Two-year-old has hilarious reaction 
to cake mix up. Nothing for the show me joke there. Show no, me. No, Brian. We we have a show to do right now. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I know that was great. I'm in the middle of. I know that you think it was. Everybody great. out All there, right. cheer hey, for I that. Gotta, I got. I got to say something real quick. I <sighs> totally clicked the wrong one. <laughs> what? I clicked the wrong uh, drop. That's okay. Nobody needs to know. We'll keep going. Yeah. I mean, they know now. No, no. <laughs> you know, they can hear him too, Brian, right? I know. Why don't we start over? Missouri, happy birthday, loser. Two-year-old has hilarious reaction to cake mix-up. A two-year-old Missouri girl is winning over the internet for her reaction to a hilarious birthday cake mistake. Uh, Melon Jones went to her local Walmart store to order a birthday cake for her two-year-old daughter. The family has nicknamed her Lizard because her name is Liz, and Jones says she thought it would be cute to have the name written on the cake. I asked the lady behind the counter if she could write Happy Birthday Lizard on it, and a few minutes later she handed it back. Jones tells Fox News 35, didn't think to look at it because it seemed like a pretty simple request. Jones took the cake home, and as she was unloading the car, she noticed the huge mistake. The lady didn't hear Lizard. She heard Loser. Happy Birthday Loser clearly was not a message for a two-year-old's birthday party. Le who? The her. (laughs) Oh, there it is. (laughs) Nigeria. Man climbs onto plane wing before takeoff at Nigeria Airport. Nigeria Aviation authorities say an intruder who climbed onto the wing of a commercial plane that was preparing to fly from the country's busiest airport has been detained. A viral video on Friday's incident at the International Airport in Lagos also showed panicked passengers who appeared eager to flee the plane. In the video taken from inside the plane, the man can be seen moving along the wing as passengers look out and shout. It was not clear how the man reached the plane or what his intention was. There's a man out there. What? Yes, that sounds about right. All right, let's close it out with Tennessee. Birds aren't real. Campaign spreads message with new Memphis billboard. (laughs) Thank you, Tennessee, for this gem. A new movement is accusing politicians of spreading lies through tweets, literally. This month, a billboard that reads, Birds Aren't Real, went up on the Highland Strip near the University of Memphis, according to one Memphis man. It's part of a movement to educate people on a mass government surveillance program that replaced birds with drones. That may sound like a joke to some, but don't tell that to Peter Mikendo. This Big Brother, or would it be Big Bird, <laughs> theory is the is that uh, beginning in 1959, the United States government started killing off all the birds in the country while simultaneously replacing them with identical undercover surveillance drones, uh, what we now call birds. Believe, believers say that the footage is used to monitor all Americans every day. We're through the looking glass here, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Tennessee, thank that, you. That would be... That would be quite the uh, the undertaking to get rid of every bird beginning in 1959. That's it. I'm going to Area 51. <laughs> Storm let's, it, baby. Let's do it. Storm it. Storm in Normandy. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Monday afternoon. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.